This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Chuck Anzalevich. Most of us think of Thanksgiving as a time to get together with family for a large meal, but many West Virginians struggle this time of year, and the food banks are struggling to keep up as well. We do get some government-allocated food, but it's not enough to keep up with our numbers. So we've been purchasing food. That story and more coming up on this West Virginia Morning. The shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs this past weekend was an all-too-familiar story for many in the LGBTQ community. As Chris Schultz reports, the incident highlights safety concerns locally. Reverend Zach Morton of the First Presbyterian Church in Morgantown says the news out of Colorado this weekend was devastating, but also exhausting. It has a certain level of familiarity, not only through mass shootings before, but experiencing the fact that it's targeted at an LGBTQ group and LGBTQ space. Morton, who counts many local LGBTQ community members as part of his congregation, sees the shooting even two time zones away as a harsh reminder that security is a constant concern. I worry that local communities here, even our church, could potentially be targeted, heaven forbid, in an act of gun violence, but there's a lot of other ways in which we can be targeted, too. Brad Grimes is the program coordinator of the West Virginia University LGBTQ Plus Center. He says the security of staff and students has been a primary concern for his office for years, in no small part because of increased anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. Last year alone, in 2021, there were over 300 anti-LGBTQ pieces of legislation. You see a headline like this past weekend. It's beyond political attacks and people are dying just for who they are. The shooting occurred at midnight on November 20th, just as National Trans Day of Remembrance began. Morton says the day is meant to be about confronting and remembering the devaluation of human life through rhetoric and actions that left 36 trans people dead this year. After Club Q, the number is now 38. Different groups of people are made to kind of live with this lingering anxiety and grief. They have to ask, am I in a safe space? We need to move towards a society where people have to do as little of that as possible. The only way it can get done is together. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. We're looking into the future on the next episode of Us and Them. Earlier this fall, host Trey Kay teamed up with a group of residents from Montgomery and Smithers in the Upper Kanawha Valley. They met with the Civic Imagination Project to envision the future of the region. There were people from all across the social, economic, and political spectrum. At a day-long workshop, the talk focused on what's defined the region and what they see down the road. Here's an excerpt from the latest Us and Them episode. The next steps for our civic imagination group involve a few more ways to think about what would make a strong, vibrant community for the future. Sangeeta Shrestova lays out the assignment. So what we're going to do is imagine this place and this area in the the year of 2060. But what we're going to do is imagine it in terms of what it's going to become, or even what your five-year plan kind of suggests that it might become. But what in your wildest dreams you'd like it to become, right? So it's 38 years from now. That's a lot of time. Things can happen. So I'm going to prompt us a little bit in terms of the areas that we might think about. And the first one I want us to think about is like, what would you like community life in this area to look like 
in 2060? Like, what would you like? What, what should it be like? What should it, what should community life look like here in 2060? My wildest dreams. I want it to be completely accessible. I want it to be colorful, and for all of our front streets, our business districts, to be full of vibrant, thriving small businesses. I want it to be full of children. Oh, good answer. Good answer. I would, I would like to see a community orchard accessible to everyone, and a big community garden. I want to be proud of what's here. What does that mean? Which I mean, I want to like it. I mean, I'm with Greg on, on most of that. I just, <laughs> I just 30, 38 years from now, these buildings might, we not, this might not be here, but I want people to have enough pride that they take care of things. I would like to see something that we probably never will see. I would like to see more love, more compassion, more understanding among the people and have less apathy and disdain. Because in my opinion, in my life that I've lived here in different places, there's so much apathy and disdain with somebody doesn't like somebody that doesn't like somebody that did this, that, and the other. And that is not the way that we should live. I realize it may not ever happen, but I can always hope and pray for it. And that is what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. What is housing like in 2060 in this area? How do people live? Okay. I would say affordable from all different uh, income ranges so that you have a choice when you come here. I don't want somebody to come here and want to live here and there's only one band of, of price range and types of houses and if that doesn't fit them, they go somewhere else. Whether it's food or whether it's houses, entertainment, I want people to have choices because when they have choices, that's where they settle. Shrestova asks the group, how do people get to the Upper Kanawha Valley? How do people travel around the area? Jerome Harrison mentions being beamed up. Yeah, like on Star Trek. It's a concept that Shrestova and her team hear at every single civic imagination workshop. And who knows, maybe by the year 2060, it could happen. Other people want to focus on better health care. Smithers Mayor Ann Cavalier talks about having better access to specialists in the area. I don't want to run to Charleston or anywhere else every time I need a physician. I, I, want, I want that health care here in the area. I understand that a specialist has to have a certain population in order to support that. But why could there not be specialists that come here periodically, once a week, once a month, so that we have a range of specialties right here in our community. We don't have to go outside for the best medical care. That excerpt is from the latest Us and Them episode, 
Reimagining a Region. Tune in tomorrow, Thanksgiving night at 8 p.m. on West Virginia Public Broadcasting, where you can hear the entire episode, which features a range of perspectives from residents of the Upper Kanawha Valley. And there will be an encore broadcast this coming Saturday, November 26th at 3 p.m. Us and Them is supported by the West Virginia Humanities Council, the CRC Foundation, the Greater Kanawha Foundation, and the Daywood Foundation. You're listening to West Virginia Morning on West Virginia Public Broadcasting. It's 751. In the weather forecast for the Mountain State, it's going to be sunny today with highs ranging from the upper 40s in the the northern mountains to the upper 50s in the southwest. Variable cloudiness tonight with lows in the mid-20s to the low 30s. And then for Thanksgiving Day, mostly sunny with highs in the mid-50s to the mid-60s. Rain back in the forecast on Friday with highs in the upper 40s to the mid-50s. Support for this weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Torreseva Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TorresavaLaw.com. Food banks and pantries across West Virginia are grappling with increased demand in the face of inflation and rising food prices. Caroline McGregor reports. As high prices force more Americans to ask for help to put food on the table, food pantries across the state are feeling the strain as well. A recent survey from Feeding America, a non-profit network of 200 food banks, found that 155 food pantries reported a jump in families facing food insecurity. Lisa Davis is the director of the Helpful Harvest Food Bank in the small rural community of Speedway, just north of Athens in Mercer County. Originally run by a local pastor who moved out of state, Davis stepped into the role of director a year ago. She applied for her own 501c3 non-profit status to run the operation. Each week, long lines of people stand outside juggling for a spot to pick up a meal. During the coronavirus pandemic, there was an overabundance of food through the emergency food assistance program. That's no longer the case. We do get some government-allocated food, but it's not enough to keep up with our numbers. So we've been purchasing food, and some weeks our food purchases are like $1,300 for a two-week supply, and our shelves are empty, sometimes before the end of the second week. And we're struggling to keep up with the demand. Helpful Harvest purchases 90% of its food from the state's largest emergency food provider, Mountaineer Food Bank. Sam's Club and donations help supplement supplies. The only other food bank in the area is 30 miles away. For those without transport, it's just not an option. We have people that actually walk, and these are people that there's no way they could walk that far. Some of these people walk two and three miles to get this food every week, and they walk back with it. I have no idea how they carry it that far. The food bank has outgrown its current location, and Davis is trying to raise funds to move into a bigger building next door. The Mercer County Commission approved a grant through the American Rescue Plan funds in August to buy their rented space and the adjacent building, which will provide up to 5,000 square feet of additional space. Davis hopes to be able to afford heating and a cooling system to keep produce fresh. Along with its mission of feeding the hungry, the small food bank serves as an outreach for the local population. Volunteers recently purchased a tent for an older homeless couple living under a carport. 
Others receive help with things like medical equipment, baby clothing, car seats and diapers and formula. Davis says the closest diaper pantry is an hour away. If they cannot afford a $10 package of diapers, they cannot afford the fuel to drive an hour each way to the diaper pantry. At the beginning of the pandemic, the food bank served 150 people a week. Over the next two years, the number steadily rose. In recent months, they've jumped to 450 people a week, a 260% increase. Once inflation hit, we started receiving more participants. Like Once the rise in prices of groceries and fuel started, our numbers just kept increasing. Davis said with food insecurity hitting more people, it's not just lower-income families seeking help. There seems to be less stigma around the food banks now because of the pandemic. That's what contributed to it. People aren't as embarrassed to um, find other sources to help them. We have lower-income college students as well at the local university that utilize our services. We have a lot of seniors that can't make it off of their fixed income because the grocery prices are so much higher. For Thanksgiving this year, the food bank doesn't have the money to buy turkeys or ham. Instead, Davis says they'll provide all the needed sides for a Thanksgiving meal. The Mountaineer Food Bank acts as a hub, distributing food through local food pantries and soup kitchens and smaller food banks like Helpful Harvest. It serves more than 460 pantries and soup kitchens throughout the state. The bank relies largely on volunteers and gets help from the USDA, which purchases directly from farmers. Mountaineer food outreach programs cover soup kitchens, shelters, senior and veterans programs, mobile food pantries and school programs. Eric Payette is Mountaineer Food Bank Vice President of Operations. He says the USDA's Emergency Food Assistance Program provides most of their agency supply. Government programs like the Federal Commodity Supplemental Food Program provide seniors with 5,000 boxes of healthy food each month. Payette said as funding fluctuates, it's normal to see cyclical ebbs and flows in USDA product supplies. Like Davis, he said during the coronavirus pandemic, there was an overabundance of food through the government's emergency food assistance program. Mountaineer Food Bank also looks to other sources for its food supply. We can go to people like Big Daddy Foods or Windlings and buy product and bulk and then offer that up to agencies. Payette fully expects sources of funding will come through as it has in previous years. I know that there was an extreme amount of funding put in there by President Biden. I don't have that number on the top of my head, but we have experienced this before. It just kind of goes and and flows. Um, It it will definitely pick back up. On Tuesday, Governor Jim Justice awarded Mountaineer Food Bank and Facing Hunger Food Bank $500,000 each to support their mission of feeding the hungry. The money will help sustain the state's food pantries and smaller food banks like Helpful Harvest. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Caroline McGregor in Charleston. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day at our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Eric Douglas, Jessica Lilly, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Chuck Anzalevich. This has been West Virginia Morning. Mm-hmm.